Hello and welcome to the Ever Better Life podcast. Happy New Year. We're excited to be back with you guys. And today, I love this topic. This this topic idea came to my mind and I was like, oh, this one's going to be really good. It's about something that sounds so very simple, (laughs) but can radically transform the way you interact with your partner. And that is, are you nice to your partner? Um, and that's what we want to talk about today. It came up in very uh, interesting circumstances that we'll talk about a little later on, uh, the moment I had this realization. And I think that if you haven't had this realization, today's episode might be really, really good for you. Yeah, I mean, I think sort of beyond the obvious, like most people haven't, well, that's maybe not most people. So some people have the idea that it would be good for them to be nice to their partner. A lot of people, I think, have the idea that it would be nice if their partner weren't so derelict so that they could be nice to them. Uh, you know what I mean? But in general, I think most people would kind of understand that the ideal scenario would be one in which your partner did the things that they're supposed to do so that you could be nice to them. And that if you're not nice to them, the reason that you're not nice to them is usually because there are things that they are doing or there are dynamics that exist between you that you know prevent that from being even a possibility. Like the behavior has to change before I can change how I feel about you or the behavior has to change before I can change how I respond to you. The behavior has to change before I can change how I'm feeling at all, you know, or whatever. Um, And I think that one of the things that I'd like to talk about today and kind of just open up this door is like if you're not really all that nice to your partner or if being nice to your partner isn't natural to you or for you right now, given like the circumstances, if you kind of have to bite your tongue and grind your teeth and kind of hold your tongue and do all these weird things to your teeth and tongue in order to avoid (laughs) saying something mean to your partner, you know, like that's no fun. And probably what happens is if you're constantly resisting the urge to, to, to be what they might call mean or what you might feel is mean, your quality of life is really low. You're constantly, you know, you're not sort of speaking your truth, uh, you know, and, inevitably, right, you're going to let it slip. And then you're going to feel like a piece of crap. And they might even treat you like a piece of crap because of that. And so I think that one of the big things um, is this principle. It's kind of one of the, it's one of the guiding principles, I think, for the work that we do in our own relationship and in our own lives and also in working with other people is that every behavior makes sense when you view the behavior in the full context or in a broad enough context in which it's occurring. So, if you're not being all that nice to your partner, if we could see all of the variables that go into how you treat your partner, the fact that you're not nicer than you are would make perfect sense. And if we would then look at the variables that influence those variables, so for example, if one of the variables that influences your partner is how you're feeling, just in general, on a scale of one to ten, um, what is what it what it's like to be you like? You know, if we were to then say, okay, makes sense that he or she isn't being that nice to her partner based on just what the quality of her experience is or his experience is, then we can say, okay, let's look at the variables that go into what it's like to be him or her. And then we see that. And then all of a sudden, what it's like to be you makes sense. And the more you can kind of just expand that scope so that you can see more of what's going into kind of the ecology of the reality you're dealing with, the experience of that reality that you're dealing with, the more what's happening now makes sense. And, and simultaneously, so, so the less you feel bad about it, you know, the less you feel bad about the present, the less you feel bad about the past. At the same time, the more you see how these variables can be varied. And, and, and so then the more you have hope about the future. So you're like, oh, that, it makes perfect sense that my TV's not turning on. It isn't plugged in. 
you don't just sit there and say, well, I feel a little bit better about the fact my TV doesn't work. Immediately, doesn't your mind go and your brain say, oh, and we could take that plug and stick it in the socket and then the TV will work. That's kind of the really natural, healthy learning process that uh, we have tried really to turn our entire lives into. And when people kind of start switching into this gear and you start relating to things that are, you know, intimate issues, personal problems, things that are affecting your most important relationships with yourself, with your partner, with your kids, with whoever, when you start to have access to this kind of practical assessment and you start to have that broad enough perspective to, to be able to accept things as they are and also the ability to zoom in and to see specific kind of variables that are going into making things be that way and you've got a skill set allows you to start to vary those variables then you don't feel bad about the fact that things aren't better than they are and you're really excited about all of the opportunities you have to make those things better. That in my experience is when people really start feeling good about the project of life and they start engaging resourcefully in it and they start really creating results that make it easier to feel better. Yeah, so I, there have been a few wake-up call moments in in our relationship where there are this, just these lines that Steve will say to, uh, has said to me that just stood out and they like slap literally slapped me in the face. No, I didn't. And I didn't. You didn't <laughs> literally, but the idea when it, it just there's been several times that I'm, I'm just stopped in my tracks and it's just like a oh wow I literally have never thought to think in that particular way. I was not realizing. I mean, it was just this major like holy shit aha moment. Um, the first one was when we'd been together about a year or so and you're like noticing this pattern and you're just like, hey, I like you. I really like being with you, but uh, I don't want to live a life where fighting, the cyclical fighting is the norm. Whoa. <laughs> it was a moment. Um, and another moment came where we were having a discussion, um, kind of an argument about something. And you said to me, like, if you would just be nice to me, like, we could work through, like everything would be, if you would just be nice to me. And I was like, whoa, that is such a, um, something to measure what I'm going to say or do against. And like, is this most simply nice? And I realize this may not be revolutionary for everyone, but if like the, the home I grew up in, my inner dialogue, a lot of times it's just not nice. And so it doesn't seem out of the ordinary to speak to you in the same way I speak to myself, in the same way my family spoke to each other. And, you know, when, when you get into relationships with people who, you know, their family was just nice to each other, it's, it's kind of different, you know? And so just recognizing that difference in yourself of like, you know what, I am used to, I am accustomed to a certain level of just like, kind of not nice, snarky um, talk that I do with people that are close to me. And yeah, you you saying that to me was a big wake-up call. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to kind of take both of those and, and move through them sequentially like yeah. to, and, and just kind of like describe our experiences with them and kind of the insights or feelings, realizations that I had, things that you had, and then kind of like that kind of mutual process. One of the things that stuck out to me as you were talking about that and kind of like describing your family and how they kind of tend to talk to each other and all this, it was really interesting. So yeah, I've been around your family and, you know, a lot of it is very positive and it's very loving and it's, it's what you would expect in a, it's just a kind of a nice, happy family. There's banter, there's jokes, there's all this funny stuff that's going on. And, and I just, and I was thinking about my own life when I was growing up and how I, I can imagine certain people in your family, if they heard you say a lot of the talk wasn't that nice or we weren't that nice to each other, they, they, they might not agree with that. I think that's a fair assessment. I was thinking, and, and yet I know kind of have, I've witnessed some things and heard some stories from you. And I, in my own life growing up, witnessed a lot of stuff that 
there's this interesting thing that can happen where if I have an idea in my head about how I treat you, I've got an idea about me and who I am as a partner, as a man, or as whatever, and I'm basically a good, nice guy, except for when this, this, or this happens. And when if, if one of these things happen, well, then you and I are going to have a problem. I Maybe we'll use harsh words with you. Maybe I'll raise my voice. Maybe I'll be cold and distant. Maybe I'll say things that are you know a little extra, like beyond just conveying the information. I'll kind of give it a little, give, give the dagger a little extra twist, just to disincentivize you doing that again. And it's so easy for that to become the transactional reality in a relationship, even if in your kind of mental image, like the idea that you have, oh, we people tell me this all the time. Basically, we've got a really great relationship. Basically, everything's pretty much okay. The problem is, is that we're just at each other's throats about 90% of the time, 80% of the time, 60% of the time, 50% of the time. And it's interesting how sometimes people need to realize that the reality of our relationship right now sucks. You know, and I think that you have to be comfortable with the idea, here's another principle, that what has been and what is currently is not necessarily an indication of what can be. You know, because a lot of people, I think, are reluctant to acknowledge how dysfunctional certain things are or how underperforming certain areas are relative to where they could be or relative to where they'd like for them to be, relative to where they were in the beginning or whatever, um, because they're afraid that, you know, if they, they're afraid that if, if it is a certain amount of bad, that that begins to inform the prospects for it getting better. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I found is, I mean, we've worked with people who literally, I mean, my goodness, at the beginning of the relationship or the beginning of the coaching, I said, you two are going to need to convince me that you don't need to break up. Because my, my position right now is, if I'm just kind of looking, I'm committed to the quality of your individual experiences. And I have seen nothing to suggest that you staying together is in the interests of that. And yet, when we started to kind of go through this process, when they started to work on their awareness and they started to experiment with these principles, all of a sudden, the relationship totally transformed. And so where you are now and what you're dealing with now is not an indication of the way the relationship could be. It's not a predictor of where you're headed. What is, I think, a pretty good predictor of whether or not your relationship is going to get better is the willingness of both parties to acknowledge what is currently going on, to kind of generate a shared understanding, right? a shared reality of what's currently happening. doesn't mean you necessarily agree with each other's experience, but you know what that experience is and you know something about how and why they feel that way and you're willing to kind of move in a certain direction. Then the prospects are actually pretty good. It, it, it's not necessarily like the prognosis isn't based on what the current condition of the relationship is. You've got a very diseased relationship body. That's fine. It can recover miraculously, like a physical body can. Really, the prognosis is determined by the extent to which both parties are on board with an effective treatment plan, uh, and you follow through with it. I think that when a person recognizes that, it becomes a lot less scary to acknowledge things that absolutely have to be acknowledged if the relationship is really actually going to thrive and be successful. And so, yeah, let's go back to the first. What was the first one? The first one was, oh, that when we had the conversation and I said to you, it seems like, because when we got when we first got into a relationship, it was sort of it was sort of a tumultuous beginning. You were with somebody else, and I basically said, hey, "Excuse me, uh, I'm interested in you. I don't know what you got going on over there. This person really wasn't present. It was a long distance thing, but I think you and I should spend time together. Um, I think no, I think you should end that relationship and come hang out with me." Was basically the proposition. Um, and so for about several months, right? There was kind of a back and forth. There was an ambiguity there. You weren't really sure what you wanted to do. It was a big life transition for you. So there were a lot of things that were going on between us. A lot of what, from my perspective, was kind of drama that I probably wouldn't have 
been game for under normal <laughs> circumstances. But there were these kind of, you know, there were these extenuating circumstances that made me say, well, look, she's going through a tough time here. She's been with this person for a really long time. Um, blah, blah, blah. She's feeling guilty about it or whatever. And so maybe that's where this stuff's coming from. But six months, seven months, eight months, 12 <laughs> months in, I, I was noticing that certain of the same things were happening. And also the problems kind of morphed from being kind of high drama, sort of like notebook-esque, I guess. Hopefully that's a good reference. But, you know, maybe more like Twilight-esque <laughs> drama to more kind of mundane domestic kind of things, <laughs> but the frequency and the intensity of the of the issues that were occurring between us didn't diminish. Mm -hmm. They just kind of transitioned and switched gears from kind of like high drama romantic things to, hey, it's Friday and it's five o'clock. Why are you still working out? I'm mad at you. And <laughs> and it was interesting because I, I, I started to form the impression. And this is obviously you didn't come right out and say, okay, now we're going to fight about these things, Steve, because, you know, I think that people should fight once a week. I began to kind of form this impression that was, wait a minute, it seems like, you're, you're having a lot of problems with me and things that I'm doing. And it, it and it seems as if this these aren't problems that we're just going to solve and then we won't have problems anymore. This is seeming almost like this is kind of like, a, you know, you can't like do your taxes once and then never do them again. You can't like do a lot of taxes one year and then be done forever. And that was how I was feeling about these fights was that you, you is that we weren't <laughs> just resolving one issue or one point of contention. And then we're good forever or we're good until another real life issue comes up. This is kind of like an at intervals abrogation of interpersonal harmony. Is that true? Um, and I think I, I think when I asked you that, I, you began to kind of it sort of like a, you never you never consciously thought of it that way, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a huge um, a moment of awareness to look at yourself. And that's what we are encouraging you to do all the time is look at what you're doing, how you're doing, why you're doing it. I had just never even begun to reflect upon myself and how I was creating my experience that led me to getting moody, getting weird, being quiet, and then blowing up about something. I had no idea how I got myself into that situation. It was truly an experience of, I just feel this way. I just feel angry, jealous, uh, you know what I mean? These, these feelings that I wasn't even aware of, couldn't acknowledge, and couldn't see how they were building up into something that was going to explode in some sort of behavior, mm -hmm. leading to a big, like, are we breaking up kind of fight? <laughs> and it's like, you were just at that point, you're like, I'm not having these types of fights. These mm -hmm. are we breaking? Because that was the norm in my previous relationship is like, there was fighting, big, uh, like, I think we broke up multiple times at a certain stage in our relationship. And it was just like, that was normal and you weren't interested in that and I was like wow that's actually I got curious about it which is such a huge key to figuring out why things are happening in your life in your relationship it, it made me pause mm -hmm. and it made me look within <laughs> for me I remember it was such an interesting process of realizing oh wait this is a thing this is oh, wait, this is, it, it was as if like, you know, you go over to someone else's house and, you know, they have different traditions or, you know, if they're kind of different religion or different cultural background, or sometimes if they're just like people down the street, you know what I'm saying? And, you, you know, you didn't realize that they were really any different than you or whatever, but they've got these interesting kind of familial traditions. And it was, as I began, I, at first I thought that everyone was, was walking into the house, you know, covered it, they were wet because it was raining outside. But eventually I started to realize, no, wait, everyone dumps a big bucket of water on themselves before they enter the house. That was the process of that realization was that like, oh, wait, I'm not – it's not actually <laughs> that you just really want me to be ready to hang out when you get home on Friday. 
it's not like if I just do this is and and that was I remember in the conversation too realizing and I it, we were kind of just having this conversation you were describing to me everything and one of the things that you said when because I guess that was the first time when I was trying to articulate well my ideal relationship situation is one in which there's basically no conflict. Now, you know, obviously, are there going to be little tiffs, little misunderstandings, little irritations? Little, yeah, that stuff's going to happen. But those are supposed to be, in my mind, deviations from the norm, which is harmony. Those are little kind of blips on the radar that you just address and acknowledge, and then you move on as quickly as possible. And I was trying to explain that to you, which was kind of a strange experience, because to me, I, everyone, I guess, is kind of this way. You feel like your way of doing things and your view on things is just how everyone thinks, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and I remember gradually realizing, and you, you were saying, no, 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 that's not what a relationship is about. What a relationship is about is you're together and you love each other and then bad things happen and you fight and you, you know, you're, you're upset and you just, you drive the other person crazy, but then you stay together because you love each other so much. And I remember thinking, holy shit. Like I said, cause then, cause then I, I realized that now to, to be fair, right. There are difficult things in, that happen in life. There are stress. There are things that occur, right. That sometimes force a, a, a couple to, to endure difficult times to support the other person. They're going through some, you know, they lost someone very important to them or they've, I don't know, they've got a substance abuse problem or someone in their family does or they lost their job or they've got a health problem. Stuff does happen. And there is this kind of nice thing where there's another person who's there with you kind of through thick and thin and helps you out and, and goes the extra mile for you and, and does it more time, you know, and, and, and demonstrates to you that they, they sort of, you know, have this, they, they love you under circumstances when you wouldn't expect anyone to put up with you or something like that. That is a legitimate kind of thing if tragedy strikes, you know. But I, I began to realize that there, are, I think that there is a tendency maybe to synthesize that drama mm -hmm. so that we can go through it together. Yeah, it wasn't like we found ourselves, you know, in, in a war zone and we had to do our best to get through it and, and support each other and everything like that. We were creating a war zone so that we could act out a drama of staying together despite how bad things were because we made them bad or because we didn't do things to make them really good. And I realized in that moment, I mean, as far as I could tell, that for you, that was actually an essential element of a relationship. And so it wasn't just, well... We haven't endured difficult things because we've been fortunate and nothing really difficult or trying has happened to us. For you, it was if that specific manifestation of love, which is I behave in a way that's so outrageous that any person in their right mind would say, see you later, I'm out of here. Um, but you don't do that and thereby you express to me this unreasonably resilient love that you have. If that isn't there, you felt like there was something missing. Then all of a sudden, it made a lot of sense, a lot of the things that I was going through. And a lot of the, because for a long time, I felt like you were setting fires, basically, mm -hmm. that you were trapping me into things. And, you know, why are you doing that? You know, and getting frustrated and all this different stuff. But when I began to understand, wait a minute, you know, it seems like you don't want to fight because you want to fight. You want to fight because you want to make up. You want to fight because you want something that's implied. Do you know what I'm saying? That you're deriving something from that. That started to make a lot of sense to me. Well, that was a, a big, huge pattern recognition moment and kind of some some stuff that we would get into in like private coaching with people to, to watch yourself go through the, um, the I'm sorry ritual. Mm -hmm. Like when do you flip from persecutor to victim? When do you start being very apologetic? 
and wanting like that confirmation that everything's okay. Like you want them to come to bed. You want them to, to like pat you on the back and say, okay, I forgive you. And noticing it's like when that person's not doing that and you're like, oh, they should have done it by now. And it's, you know what I mean? When you're starting or when to, you know you were done, uh -huh. but you want them to initiate the reconciliation. And so you're just kind of like, I'd, I'd be open. It's like international relations. I always feel like I'd be open to a feeler, but they're not extending any feelers. Yeah. And so noticing that just kind of started to show me what a racket it was. What a, you know, like are these feelings that I'm having and this whole kind of like reason that I'm upset, is there something that's priming me to see things in this way right now? And is this something that I have control of, something that I can change? Is it a story I'm telling myself? Is it you know, like, why am I seeing him in this particular way? Why am I treating him in this particular way? That comes back to that, am I being nice? Like, mm. what causes me to go from, we're friends, we're mm. on the same team, like, we want the same things, to opponent, hold yeah. up, I've got to, you know what I mean? And like, you, when, and, and the more sensitive I've become to what causes me to be like, hand in hand, <laughs> to like, face to face, um, those triggers help me become aware. Like I'm about, am I like not being nice? I don't feel nice. I don't feel magnanimous. I don't feel, I feel like we're about to fight. And is, are those feelings genuine? Do I have a reason for this? Am I manufacturing something outside of my awareness? Again, you don't wake up and go, ha, I'm going to cause big problems today, right. but it happens and a lot of times it's because you're you're kind of unconscious, you're not aware, you're not paying attention, you're not um, curating your focus and what's coming in, and you're kind of allowing your mood to go a certain way. Maybe it is hormonal in that time of the month where you're more combative or more emotional, and you're not aware of that. Because when I become aware of these things, I'm like, okay, all right, there's some kind of something going on here. Mm -hmm. And it wants to cook up some sort of discord or disharmony. And when I notice it, I just be I like it's such a good moment because I'm like, okay, now that I'm noticing, I can I can circumvent this. I can prevent something from happening that otherwise I just would go unconscious. I'd let it happen. We do the whole ritual. I'd say I'm sorry. And it was all because I didn't kind of do the work on the front end. Well, the interesting thing about that is that when you become aware of what's going on with you. And what's going on with you may not be what we're talking about. You know, this is just an example. And it's not always you. Sometimes it's me. You know, when, when I become aware of something that I'm doing, either in response to you doing something or just I'm just over here being a jerk all by myself and you had nothing to do with it. Um, when I can see that it's not, I'm doing something that's not serving me. Very often I see that I'm doing something that's not serving me before I see what that something is. But as soon as I know, once you know there's a mouse in the house, you don't know where it is, but your project becomes, let me find this mouse and put him outside. You don't know, or, you know, whatever you do with mice when you find him. Like, the, you know what I'm saying? And I think when you have that awareness that something's amiss here, you know, like, like I know I'm forgetting something. If you, if you realize that you're forgetting something when you're still at home, you don't leave home to figure out what that thing is. But if you're already on the road, well, we've already started the fight, you know what I mean? Then it's like, well, let's just forget it and hope for the best kind of thing. That's a very powerful thing. And it's not, it, it doesn't, you're not obligated to do anything differently. Like, like when you realize you've got a pattern going on or, or you might have something going on or you realize that there's some sort of hormonal fluctuation that might be influencing how you're feeling, how you're perceiving something, how you're inclined to respond to feeling some way or whatever, that doesn't then mean that you're not allowed to have a problem with me mm -hmm. or with yeah. the situation. It just means that you're aware of factors that are influencing you. Like, so, you know, sometimes if things are going wrong in some area of, of my life that has nothing to do with you, 
and then I notice there's something that you're doing that I wish you wouldn't be doing or something that you are not doing that maybe you said that you would, if I am aware of the fact that part of my experience of you doing what you said you wouldn't or not doing what you said you would might be influenced by something that has nothing to do with that, I can then, you know, modulate my response. I might even tell you, listen, I might not even be saying this, to be honest with you. I, I'm aware that I'm a little miffed about something that's going on over here, might be influencing me. That's a very useful thing. And, and to have the ability, I mean, in order to be honest with your partner, you have to kind of know more about what's going on. And a lot of what this is, is if you can imagine a, a, two circles, one's a big circle that contains another one. And the big circle is what you're doing. And the smaller circle that's inside of that circle, but smaller than it, is what you're aware of doing. As you expand what you're aware of doing, I mean, you can move that circle around, but it doesn't matter how, you know, if it's if it's only 10% as big as the big circle, you're never going to be aware of everything that you're doing. You know what I'm saying? It, what you want to do, and I think that's what a lot of people do, is that they, they try to improve their life by moving that circle around. And you just can't move it around fast enough to be aware of everything, because it, it, and you don't ever really need to be aware of everything. What you want to do, though, is expand that circle in addition to developing your ability to move it around so that the chances that you will be aware of what is most experientially relevant for you at a given moment in time become greater. And I think that's what a lot of it is. It's not about you know, furrowing your brow. It's not about white knuckling your way to some kind of enlightenment or to, or to getting along with your spouse better. It's, it's not about that. And you're probably, if you've been screwing up a lot in the past or if you tend to make a certain type of mistake, or you tend to, you know, you tend to respond in a particular way that doesn't serve you. Chances are you're going to continue to do that for a while. It's it's not just going to vanish. And the objective is not for you to never do it again. The objective is for you to never do it again without noticing something about how you make sense out of doing it that you've never noticed before. That's the important thing. And I think that when you kind of give yourself permission to do that, what happens is you start to become this expanding this awareness is broadening that perspective so that you can begin to realize really for yourself in a very specific situation, in a series of specific situations, oh wow, everything always makes sense when I view it in the full context in which it's occurring. That goes for me, that goes for you, that goes for my reactions to you, it goes for your reactions to my reactions. And, and, you know, and I think that when you really start to have that kind of a cooperative relationship, things really get interesting um, because you're assisting me in developing my awareness. You're assisting me in responding, you know, resourcefully to, I mean, if you, if you really want to put a positive stress on your relationship, develop a certain uh, awareness skill set, like the one that we, particularly the one that we do, because I find this to be the most practical and the most real and the most legit and the most no bullshit and the most just kind of like down to earth reality of what it's like to be stuff that I know of. Um, and because if there was someone that I thought did a better job of this stuff, I would probably copy their things and steal the best parts. Um, but when you really start working with your partner, it's a little bumpy and rocky at first, and I tell you what to do or I lecture you, and that doesn't work, and it blows up in my face. But when you get to a point where you're actually real teammates in this, like, would you like to help me improve what it's like to be me by showing me when I'm doing things that aren't really working well? Mm -hmm. And that kind of just really, I think the best way to do it is we both have a skill set. We both have these ideas that we're working on. Let's practice them ourselves, on ourselves, in proximity to one another. That's usually where kind of like the best growth comes from. And I think that it puts a tremendous, tremendously positive stress on the relationship. Because when you've got two people who are really intent on improving what it's like to be them, and also you've got this intention to say, listen, it'd be nice if we could do this thing together as well. Um, there's just no room for bullshit in your relationship. There's just absolutely no room 
for what doesn't work. And there's no room for heirloom patterns that don't really serve you <laughs> that you inherit. I mean, that was one of the big problems for, for, for us for a long time was that we had room for a lot of superfluous stuff. I mean, I think when people stay together, they're together because they're getting enough out of it, right, to make it worthwhile or because the prospect of splitting up is sufficiently scary or burdensome or whatever to kind of keep them together. Uh, but then beyond that, though, there's all sorts of other things that could be better or could be worse. And I think for a lot of people, okay, I love you enough to stay with you. You love me enough to stay with me. So we've got that nucleus there. But all of the electron patterns that are swirling around that nucleus, you know, seven out of ten of them are just shit. They're just things that cause problems. They're things that don't enrich. They're things that don't really necessarily contribute. And I think for us, it was really just kind of relentlessly looking towards improving quality in the character of what it's like to be me and you for what it's like to be you. Doing that in a relationship made our experiences better, improved the relationship more than I think any program, any love languages, men are from Mars, women are, any, more than anything like that could possibly improve the relationship. We put stress on it by improving the quality of each of our experiences. And it was this wonderful internal stress that kind of provoked and catalyzed, I think, like a, a real kind of growth in the series of exchanges that make up the relationship. Yeah, that personal responsibility and like, you know what, I am going to, because I know I only treat you badly. I only am not nice to you when I have not been paying attention to my own experience, when I don't know what's going on with me, when I am not aware of why I'm getting this like this combative feeling within me. Um, one thing we did discuss uh, on this topic was like buying strategies and how like that something that once we got on the same page about understanding my buying strategy being different from yours. So like if you wanted to buy something um, and I wasn't kind of on board with it, that would sometimes cause a fight, sometimes cause you to resent me. And, you know, and once we discovered that we had these different strategies for when it made sense to buy something like that helped so much. So that was me developing my awareness, me noticing oh, it's these topics. Why do I feel this way about these topics? What kind of unspoken rules am I playing by? Am I expecting you to know about me? And 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 in my head, I just am just like, he should know this. He should know, you should know this about me. And so that would add to the the anger, the discomfort, the the desire to lash out or to say something not nice to you. And I only do that when I'm not paying attention. I don't know how I got to this experiential place of feeling kind of tight and locked down and like you're not listening or you should know things about this situation that like I assume that you already know and and then I get mad and I had to become aware of me doing that you know and you have gently helped me many of times you know to to recognize and to see it and that has helped each and every time sometimes it does turn into a full-blown fight and it takes a while to actually see and back up and figure out how did I get to this place. But once you do, it's like, well, of course, no wonder I was treating you in that way. No wonder I was feeling that way. And we can all kind of like, from this place of greater perspective, see, I see why you did what you did. I see why I did what I did. I see that that didn't work. I see that really actually wasn't nice. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> didn't mean to treat you that way. Um, I'm seeing this in a new and different way. And when those learnings accumulate, you actually, you break out of the pattern and you're able to see it soon enough and, and, you know, put the fire out early enough that it doesn't like burn everything down. Yeah. As you're talking, there's two things that came to mind for me. One of them is kind of, it's kind of an aside and it was that, you know, 
in order for this stuff to work, I feel like one of the really important things is that you as an individual be already heading in the direction of where you want to go in life, which is, you know, not just financially or in terms of success or whatever, but also just in terms of how you want to feel, the things you want to accomplish in a day. Um, I know because if you try to dead start this stuff, like, you know, let's use these ideas to get ourselves out of this muck and mire and just morass of just like dysfunction and unhappiness and resentment. That sometimes is a hard sell. But if I'm all, if, I, if I've got that sensation, like I'm flying down the interstate at 70 miles per hour, heading in the direction of somewhere really excited about going, and you're in the passenger seat, and you seem to be insisting that we go back home because you don't, you decided you didn't want to go out today. If, if I'm already moving in that direction, I'm so much more inclined to really rally my resources and persuade you to come along with me to this fun, wonderful place. Whereas if we're just sitting at home and we're about to leave, you know what I'm saying? And you're like, oh, I don't want to go. And I'm like, you never want to go anywhere. And, you know, and I, I don't have the benefit of that momentum of already improving what it's like to be me. I think that's really important. So if you're listening to this and the prospect of doing the things that we're talking about isn't exciting to you and it just feels like more than you're willing to take on or more than you're inclined to take on, a lot of the times I, for me personally, I found that is an indication that I myself am complacent and that a lot of my experience of my partner's negative behavior, undesirable behavior, a lot of my experience of her problems, whatever they are, big picture or small detail, whatever, a lot of my experience of it is as bad as it is because I am not more deliberately heading in a direction that I'm more excited about. And, you know, I mean, that's not necessarily a fun thing to acknowledge, but it's a useful thing to acknowledge because... If I were heading, when I am really excited about where the day is going, where the week's going, when I'm really excited about what I'm doing in my fitness life, when I'm really excited about the work I'm doing with my clients and all of this, if you come at me with some nonsense, if you come at me with some patterns, or if you're stuck in kind of a emotional rut or if, whatever, I immediately just start reaching in my bag and I say, okay, we're still going over. I don't say, see, you ruin everything. Now I'm upset too. Now the day's ruined. We're not going to meet our goals for the month. We're not. See, you always have to ruin everything. I'm not inclined to respond that way. I'm inclined to say, no, no, we're going over here. Now let me help you, right? Let, or let me respond resourcefully to this. Now what does that mean? Maybe it means modifying my behavior. Maybe it means helping you see something. Maybe it means letting, maybe it means just not figuring out what's going on with you, not so that we can force you to feel better, but so we can just kind of create a little space where it's okay for you to feel the way that you do. Um, so like, I'm going to kind of sequester you, you know, you're a little unwell. Why don't you go down here and have a rest or whatever? <laughs> I'm going to stay up here and get things done because that's the mode that I'm in. It's all work withable. Mm -hmm. But in one of the big things for me, though, in order to be excited about doing this stuff, in order for me to do something, I need to be excited about it. You know what I'm saying? That's an important thing. And that excitement for me is made out of I, as an individual, am experiencing myself as responsible for my life. And I'm heading in a direction where I'm really excited to be going. And I have a duty to myself that supersedes my duty to my partner, to my children, to my parents, to anybody else. And so I need to get myself heading in the right direction so that if they come into my orbit or when they come into my orbit, I can pull them in the positive direction that I'm going by my resourceful. And, and that doesn't mean that you know, you're getting them to do what you're doing. It just means that you're pulling them in the direction of resourceful response. It means you're pulling them in the direction of better rather than being pulled off track of better and into the you know, mediocrity or resentment or whatever. So that was the first thing. The second thing is you were talking about that. I was thinking that, you know, as you were describing, I, I would see myself doing these things. I began to recognize why I was doing them. It started to make more sense when you were more aware of kind of the process surrounding it. Um, that's an example, I think, of that principle we've talked about a couple of times, which is that every behavior makes sense when you view it in the full context in which it's occurring, like the whole buying strategy thing. Like, why is my partner 
acting or behaving in a way when it comes to buying things? Why does she get weird whenever I want to make a purchase? That's a question. That's a frustrating issue. That's a relationship problem. So what I want to do is begin with that big picture thing that says every behavior, including this behavior of hers, makes sense when viewed in the full context in which it's occurring. If I'm frustrated about it, it's usually due to my own ignorance, which is to say, I don't know enough about this individual, or I don't know enough about what things that govern patterns of human behavior. I don't know enough about principles, right, of, of interacting in order for this to make sense to me. And because it doesn't make sense to me and because it's not something that I want, I'm angry about it. So I can do one of two things there. I can either say this frustration is because I don't know more about this than I do. I'm not better prepared to respond resourcefully to it than I am. And then go equip myself to respond more resourcefully to this portion of my reality so I can get more of what I want. Or I can say this feeling of frustration means that she's a bad person, means that I don't want to be with her or means that because of her, I can't have the things that I want or my life's not fair because my partner, I'm supportive of her purchases, but she's not supportive of mine. Boo hoo hoo. Right. And, you know, recognizing that that frustration can mean one of two things and it can point in one of two directions for me. So the big picture principle is that it makes sense. I think this, how, how, what does that mean? Okay, great. It makes sense, but I don't know anything about it. That's a lot of what we cover in the Everett Life course. Um, things like internal frame of reference. Things like criteria for doing. I mean, there are so many specific details that will allow you to say, holy shit, he actually was right. It actually really does make sense. What I'm telling you is that there is a puzzle that you can buy and a symbol that will allow you to see what, you know, why things are happening in the way that they are. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have the puzzle or all the pieces or that even when you get the puzzle that you're going to put it together right away. I'm just telling you, trust me, that you're living in a matrix and that I can show you how to take it apart and put it together again. That hopefully inspires within you enough enthusiasm and hope and determination to either do it for yourself or take advantage of some of the resources that we offer. But in either, either way, though, there's a way to get to where you want to go. And that ought to get you excited enough to kind of like mobilize the resources that are going to be right for you. I think that ability, though, to, to I mean, it's a little bit of faith element, I guess, like, you, okay, so what's this principle? I'm going to practice this principle, this idea, everything makes sense. Everything makes sense when viewed in the full context. Well, it sure as hell doesn't make sense to me. Okay, well, that means I'm not viewing it in the full context. How can I see this in clear? Well, I could zoom out. I could have more awareness. I could see more about the ecology in which this is occurring. And it would also be useful to be able to zoom in so I could see the specific mechanics of it. So I could see those variables, see how those variables could be varied so that the big picture experience would then become, would be different. And so that's a little bit about kind of like the mindset, I think, that we have with this stuff and this, having this mental flexibility. You know what I'm saying? Because I think a lot of people, the problem is not that people are stupid, that I'm stupid or that you're stupid. You know, the problem is, is that we as intelligent people have very good strategies for acting stupid, even when we're not. <laughs> and, and, and that's, you know, that's good, but it's also really possible to create, you could create the, you could create results that are every bit as unenjoyable um, in your life as you could if you were completely stupid and you could be very intelligent. And that's encouraging, but it's also sort of a little bit of like, hmm, I better get smart about how I'm smart because otherwise I'm going to be smart in a way that's going to cause me to create results that make it look like and feel like and seem like I'm really stupid. And I think that ability and recognizing that that's true um, is, is an immensely kind of like, you know, it's just kind of a useful thing. And so be nice to your partner, right? And I think that practically, so if you're going to try to do this, I, there are a couple of questions that I would ask myself. One would be, what makes it difficult? for me to be nice to my partner, you know, and I, and I would encourage, I would include things about them, things that they do, things that they have done, things that they haven't done or things that they don't do. 
I would also include feelings that you tend to feel ambiently, which is to say like independent of them or just in general. Do you just tend to feel grumpy? Do you just tend to feel resentful? Are you, you tend to be pessimistic? Aspects of kind of your thought pattern. Do you tend to focus on what you don't want? Just you know, circumstantially, well, we don't have money. It'd be a lot nice. Be a lot easier to be nice to my partner if we had more money. That's what you think. Uh, <laughs> this is and this is one of those things too. One thing I have found is that people are going to treat other people about the way they are currently calibrated to treat the people who are in the role that that person is in in their life, and life will provide you with reasons to treat them that way. But you're going to treat it, you could reverse the situation, I could give you a million dollars, and if you were browbeating your spouse, or if you resent your spouse, or whatever, you would resent them just as much, but in a different format, in a different context, with money as you do without it. And I think that one of the things is breaking that, breaking this illusion that says my circumstances are responsible for the manner in which I behave, and the basic quality of experience that I'm creating. That is such an illusion. Because as long as you believe that, you're not going to change things that you can, are able to change right now that will actually allow you to change those circumstances. That like I'm I'm responding unresourcefully because you are such a dot, dot, dot. No. See, I'm responding unresourcefully because at present I'm willing to respond unresourcefully under certain circumstances. That's why I'm responding unresourcefully. That is an intelligent thing to say to myself. That's something that's going to set me up to respond in a way that's going to create more results that I want and less results that I don't. So that's the first one. What makes what makes it easy for you to not be nice to me? One of the biggest things is having not worked out. I've, I've <laughs> noticed every time, uh, I mean, at least in the last several, several months, that a fight has been initiated uh, typically by me, mm. there are some exceptions, but most of the fights are initiated by by me. Um, I haven't worked out that day. It's like the day off of working out, or you know, and it's like, hmm, I wonder if I would have worked out if it would have been, you know, because like when I'm physically feeling good, mm -hmm. when I don't have that, I tend to be nicer. So that's one thing. Yeah, that's what that's for me too. Huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the things for me that makes it easy for me to, to not be nice to you is um, if if I kind of sequester my, if I don't activate all the things that I know about a situation, all the things I know about you, all the things I know about the things that are influencing my experience, if I can just convince myself that you are intrinsically some way, if I, so if I can observe a behavior of yours and rather than noticing that behavior and, and recognizing it as a behavior, if I can somehow in my mind bait and switch that into a characteristic of yours, or, you know what I'm saying, a, a, a trait that you as a person have, it becomes very easy for me to not, not to be not be nice to you. Because, I mean, and, and I think that's that thing too. If I can, if I get into this mode where I'm catching you doing something you shouldn't be doing, and really usually what happens is, I don't just do it vindictively, usually what happens is I've got my guard down. I'm not doing my best practices. And so it feels like you kind of come in and sucker punch me with an unresourceful state or with a fight or something. Now, the truth is I should have had my shit together more than I did. And I wouldn't have been influenced by your little whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's intentional, whether it's not, whether it's even a thing you're doing or whether it's not. I wouldn't have been affected in the way that I was. But I kind of am not doing my best practices. And therefore, the intrusion that whatever you're up to has upon my experience is greater than it needed to be. I feel kind of very not necessarily hurt by it, but I feel very emotionally inconvenienced by it. I feel very kind of like I was on the cusp. I was just about to get a lot of wonderful things started, and then you came and ruined everything another day. You know, if I can if I can put myself in that, I guess what you call like a victim position. 
it makes it very easy for me to be not nice to you because you've done this a million times before and you said you weren't going to do it. Now we've got to do and I And I understand this. And so we shouldn't have to do this again. And I, why do I have to explain this to you? Blah, 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 blah. So convincing myself that you should be doing something other than you are convincing myself that you are 100% responsible for the fact that I'm not experiencing whatever you're doing, however bad it is or isn't, more resourcefully than I am. If I can, if I can successfully transfer responsibility for my experience over to you, it becomes very easy for me to not be nice to you. Absolutely. Um, so, so, yeah, yeah, same thing for me when I am um, feeling blamed, when I'm feeling like, oh, 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 that's a big one. That's such a big sign for me when I'm feeling like he's trying to blame me for something. If I'm not aware of that, um, my defenses go up so quickly and I deflect, deflect, deflect and, uh, and, and spin a narrative so quickly <laughs> that like, I it honestly, can, it can get away from me. And the thing is, is when it gets away from me, when I'm so committed to this position because I was just like frantically trying to not be blamed for something, um, sometimes it can take a while to dig us out of that ditch. <laughs> well, you know what's so interesting to me about that is that there are times when, and this is an example I think of, it illustrates one, some of the patterns that you have, but it also illustrates two, that when you're just you and you're not stuck in your patterns, I can afford to really mess things up. Like I can be a real blundering idiot and there not be any consequence in the sense that like I, I don't get in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause you respond to it so resourcefully when you're, when you're you and you're not engaged in some kind of a pattern that when you're in that, I don't want to be blamed pattern. There's literally no amount of tactful that I can be that will serve to persuade that part of you. Cause it's that kind of almost like that lizard brain part. You know what I mean? Um, that it's not going to be reasoned with or whatever. It's like step into my parlor, you know, that said the spider to the fly and you're like the fly is like, no, 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 I'm not definitely not coming in there. Um, and so when you're in that mode, right there, there, it's not a matter of me. And I think this is one of those things that a lot of relationship advice misses. Well, listen, men, when you're talking to your wives, wives, when you're talking to your husbands, you know, uh, just use these words and then everything will be fine. Let me tell you something. When Melissa is in, I don't want to be blamed mode. You literally like, there aren't words that you can <laughs> use at a straight conversational level, right. That will serve to reassure you that that's not what's happening. There aren't subjects that can be avoided. There aren't ways that it can be put forward when you're in that mode you are avoiding blame and that's the objective. And so there must be blame coming from somewhere, regardless of whether it's there or not. And so if I try to modify my language, the only thing I can do in that moment that I found anyway, that works is to notice that pattern and not react to it, but say, listen, it seems like you're in that blame avoidance mode. Is that true? Addressing the pattern tends to diffuse it, right? Trying to interact with that because that it's like it's like playing a carnival game, and, and it's the same when it's when I'm in one and you're trying to do. You have to point out what's really going on because if you try to play the game and you know, and the, the latest relationship expert said, oh yeah, when you're shooting the water into the clown's mouth, if you just kind of angle the little, little carnival gun up, the balloon will fill up faster, and then you'll win the stuffed ant. It's like no bullshit. No, it's a rigged game that is designed for you to lose. And you lose by playing it. You win by not doing it at all. And what's really interesting is that, on the other hand, in contrast to that, and that's what's so fascinating about these patterns to me, when you're in blame avoidance mode, everything it could be construed as an effort to blame you, and then it justifies all sorts of undulations on your part to try to get away. On the other hand, there are times when I'm unconscious or when I'm tired or when I'm just kind of in a grumpy state or whatever, and I say things about... I, 
I, I say things that either are sort of passive-aggressive blaming of you or things that any reasonable person could say, hmm, you trying to, sometimes maybe I'm not trying to blame you, I'm just kind of in a grumpy, abrupt mood and I'm like, how about this? You know, I'm not tactful at, at, at best. And, and you respond really resourcefully to it. You're not bothered by it. You either say, geez, you're a grump, or you're like, oh, yeah, I'll take care of that. You know, you see the situation for what it is. You recognize it as, even if that was a blame, it was a meaningless blame. It's just, that's a Steve in a grumpy state. That's not a, he's not impugning my character. He's not really saying I should have done that already. And you respond so graciously to it. Or you're funny, and you point it out, and then I can't help but laugh about it, because what else could I do? I She caught me, right? Yeah, you know, it is so fascinating. So you've got that ability to respond to overt blames in a resourceful way, whether it's humor or whether it's letting it slide or whatever the case may be. However, when you're in that pattern, these patterns sequester us from our full intelligence because basically we step into these roles. And when you step into those roles, it's literally we're like method actors and we become these roles that we're playing. And this role requires me to be an idiot, or this role requires me to seem like an idiot because in order to play the role effectively, I have to not see certain things, I have to not recognize certain things, I have to not understand certain things, I have to misinterpret certain things in order to do what the I don't want to be blamed role calls for or whatever. And I think you need that ability to see that your partner isn't necessarily intentionally stonewalling you, they're not actually stupid. They're not acting stupid on purpose to use some kind of leverage over you or whatever it is that they do. Probably what's happened is, is they've shifted into a state of consciousness where literally they actually don't have access to the resources that they would normally have access to, that they may have had access to moments before. And a lot of this game is learning to recognize when that happens when they get into character, it, I mean, you have to kind of have cooperation for all of this. Um, so in the beginning, I mean, it depends if, you know, if they're on board with you, then you can do it together. But if it's just you, a lot of it is learning to recognize when they step into those modes, noticing what your natural reactions are, what your natural, because I, one of the things I have found about these patterns is that they are very good at eliciting reactions from the other person that will allow them to perpetuate. So like when you go into, mm. I won't be blamed mode, there is something about that pattern that is very good at eliciting from me exactly the things that it needs in order to keep on going. Mm -hmm. I get irritated. I get agitated. I raise my voice. I start kind of eventually sort of like, you know, rubbing my temples because it's maddening. It really is, right? When you're dealing with these things. And so notice your inclinations to respond unresourcefully. And just, you know, am I, be, it reminds me of like these movies, like, the movie Beethoven, you know, like where the guy, well, I don't know what he wanted to do with the dog, but the, the evil veterinarian um, made it look like the dog had, 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 had um, bitten him, mm. even though he didn't. These patterns can act like that. It's like, you know, if someone's, if someone's really telling you, like, yeah, come punch me in the face. Yeah, come punch you. Don't you know that there's probably someone around the corner filming that? They're trying to catch you on camera, you know? And just, like, you want to know when you're being baited. And it's usually not your partner that's baiting you. It's these patterns that are after you. And one of the things for us is that we, we, more and more, we experience these things, these 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 patterns of acting. Maybe we'll, we'll we'll talk more about this later. You go into these modes, you've observed these exchanges. You ever felt like you're kind of being shoehorned into some early life experience that your partner had? Like they they decided early on in life, or were convinced that women are some way, or that men are some way, or that relationships consist of this type of thing. And it's like you've got to go through some obligatory 
ritualistic experiential acknowledgement that in fact that is the way men are, women are, relationships are, whatever. Uh, you ever feel kind of you ever feel like you're in the twilight zone, like the person is angry at you for absolutely no reason, or that they would have, or they're angry at you for a reason, but if that reason weren't there, they'd be angry for you at you about something else. That's not all in your head. Some of it is probably that you do things that you shouldn't do. That is probably part of it. But if your relationship is anything like ours was, and if your relationship is anything like most of the relationships are, you know, that where we work with people, there are things that you as an individual needs probably to change in order to be a better partner. But unless things change in the relationship, you changing those things is not going to change the fact that the relationship's in turmoil. Mm -hmm. And I think that the ability to recognize both of those things, like I could be a better partner to you. Um, and we need to address the things that make it so that it doesn't matter what kind of a partner I am, you're going to have a problem with me sometimes mm -hmm. and vice versa. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that that was one of those things is like, you know, find someone that plays the game with you. Cause if you guys have compatible dysfunctions and no one is interested in this type of work, I mean that, I think that's how a lot of people get along pretty well. It's like, okay, you play my games, my inherited games and I'll play yours yeah. And, you know, and we'll just get along. I mean, and, and some people are just, they're just okay with it. I do think that we um, can accustom ourselves to mediocrity in certain experiences. Like, well, I don't really expect all that much from this relationship. You know, I saw my parents' relationship and this is, this is pretty good. You know, things are, you know, good enough, I guess. And you can settle for good enough. Well, for a lot of them, I think it suits the people's personality. Mm -hmm. I think for there's a lot of relationships I've seen where they're, you know, quote, dysfunctional. But there's a wink and a smile mm. that is that is, it, it, you know, it's almost like um, vaudeville or something like that. It, it's almost funny. It, you know, it's I'm thinking about a couple of people where they yell and fight at each other and they call each other names and all this different stuff. But you can literally see them smiling through the whole thing. It's a big joke. And so for me, it's not about what it looks like or what other people think about it. It's about what's the quality of the experience of the True. individuals who are mm -hmm. in it. You know, um, I do think that there is a lot of that mediocrity thing, though, where you just kind of realistically, what can you expect at your age, having married who you did, making those choices, someone who looks the way that you do, someone who's made, you know, that has the history that you do. Everyone has this series of kind of like stats about themselves that they use to rationalize settling for less than they could have. Um, and I think it's just, well, if you're doing that, you want to be aware of the fact that you're doing it, you know, and, and if, if you want to improve your relationship, that's really the only reason to do it. It's not because we think you should or something like that. I, you know, I don't care. Yeah. Doesn't matter. And I think that's one of those things recognizing is that like, I not, I'm not like in the business of forcing experiential improvements on people who don't want it. It's very much like if you're into it, I'm into it too. Maybe you'd like some of the things that we've kind of come up with, but there is that kind of, you know, it's, I think it's a personal freedom thing, but it's also an individual initiative that comes along with it. We're like, if you settle for what you've got, which is to say, if you don't go for something better, either within the relationship or, you know, outside the relationship, maybe you just decide it's not for you anymore and you go somewhere else, you're probably just going to get what you get. Mm -hmm. And only you can decide whether or not that's a scary, holy shit kind of thing, or is that just kind of like, a, oh, no, I'm fine with that kind of thing. Um, and I think if you make that choice consciously, you, you'll make it in a way that's right for you. You'll make it in a way that serves you. Um, if you don't make it consciously, though, if you're just kind of, you know, you don't even realize that you're choosing what you've got by not going for something different or something better, um, then it's possible. There's no guarantee that the choice that you make is going to serve you. And so I think that that's why the conscious choice thing is so important because it's a prerequisite for personal freedom. 
Yeah, and if you aren't even aware, you know, because that can be one of those things that just kind of lulls you, um, that you're like, you're not aware that this relationship could improve, you're not aware things could be better, and so, like, you've got this kind of lingering dissatisfaction with, like, all of your experience, when you just start looking at the individual components of it, it's like, oh, wow, maybe that's not the norm, and so that was a big wake-up call for me. If you haven't had a relationship with someone who woke you up to the fact that, like, your patterns aren't the norm mm -hmm. or don't have to be how it is, um, you know, I don't know how you, you're lucky you came across this podcast because look, look at there could be things going on um, in your experiences that in your relationships that you've just gotten used to poor quality mm -hmm. and better quality is available and it can even be easy and even be fun and even, you know, not necessarily require a huge life overhaul. It just may be more paying attention because mm -hmm. a lot of people, a lot of couples, if they just tweaked a couple of things, their happiness and satisfaction levels could skyrocket. And so mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be some kind of, oh, I need to find someone new and break up. It doesn't even have to be that way. Yeah. And, that, and, the, and those, I mean, those big life overhauls, right, are, are made out of usually making small changes. And when you make those small changes, there's such a relief of pressure or there's such a new surplus of energy that all of a sudden making something else, you know, another change or something like, it's never about embracing some kind of overwhelming, impossible, unnatural, weird feeling, probably nonsense, probably not going to work, kind of, you know, this kind of like big hurrah, we're going to sign on and revolutionize or blah, blah, blah kind of crap. It's not that. It's little things. <laughs> it's, it, it's like literally doing little things differently and just noticing opportunities and things. And it's interesting. One of the things that you mentioned about like having never even considered it's possible reminded me of, of, I think, one thing that gets in the way of people being nicer to their spouse or their significant other or whatever is that they're afraid that if they're not mean to their significant other, their significant other won't change things that they need to change. Um, and of course, it's very easy to overlook the fact that you've been being mean to him for 15 years and he still hasn't changed them. So being mean's not working all that well. But I'm afraid to stop because if I don't, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm only maybe I'm only like one instance of just taking him to task away from him totally seeing the light and revolutionizing his life and getting everything in order. And if he would just get his life in order, all of a sudden, all of my problems would be solved and everything would be wonderful in my life. You can do that for decades until you just get old and tired and you're just too tired to do it. And that's what I, mean, I see this happen a lot. Couples, they start getting along because they just don't have the energy to fight anymore. Um, and then somehow or another, that's relationship success. And then people come and ask them advice and they go, well, you just have to stick it out. You know, it turns I heard that growing up that you just had to stick out and stay together long enough and eventually everything will be fine. And I was like, I think you guys are just running low on battery. You know, I just think that you just can't punch as hard as you used to be able to. I, I think that that's really what's happening here. And, um, you know, that's not the only way to do things. I mean, if that's how you want to do things, if you're happy with that, that's great. But what's really interesting is that, like, literally, these small changes. I mean, if you've got, like, a, a, a hole the size of a dime in your gas tank, I mean, you're losing a lot of fuel there. I don't even know if you I mean, how far, I mean, how long would it take for your entire gas tank to just be emptied? as a result of a dime-sized hole in the gas tank. You don't need uh, something the size of a dinner plate to cover that hole up. You need something a little bit bigger than probably than the size of a dime. And all of a sudden now, you've gone from driving two or three miles to being able to drive, I don't know, two or 300 miles, you know? And this is the difference between somebody losing their job because their relationship is impacting them so negatively that they aren't able to function. And someone developing health problems because they're not taking care of themselves because their relationship, I know, for us, like when we had relationship problems, 
it was imperative that we fix it because I said I, it was like trying to function without sleep, trying to function in the context of this relationship drama. I can't do this. This is miserable, and I can't live a lifestyle where what what do we have to show for our life? Well, we learned how to not fight all the time. Okay, okay, great. You know that that doesn't feel like an accomplishment to me. That feels like something that I want to get squared away yesterday, so that we can go make a million dollars next year, so that we can go have a wonderful life together, so that we can go help a lot of other people, so that we can go enjoy ourselves, so that we can go explore the world, do fun stuff. Do you know what I mean? And it was changing that. So people go from losing their job because you know their relationship's so bad to now starting their own business. You know, it's amazing what happens when you stop leaking. You know what I mean? And when you start finding it within the context of the relationship and then also, so you got holes that are causing the relationship to kind of leak and not work properly. But when the relationship itself is a hole on your overall life experience and you plug that up, it's amazing the things that you can really start doing when you're not, you know, the, the time period between the, well, we're in a fight, so it's miserable. Well, we just had a fight, so we're just kind of like waylaid and trying to clean up the wreckage and gather ourselves emotionally. And we're just exhausted and we're just kind of getting through the day to the point where it's like, oh, shit, there's probably a fight coming right around the corner. What do you have there? What do you got about 15 minutes of really good optimistic energy and feeling, you know, what, a couple of days maybe, mm -hmm. a couple of weeks before the next one? That You're never going to get anything done. You need consistent kind of improvement. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you don't fight, but it means that we're moving in the right direction. We're making improvements. We're making advances. And between every interval where we have some kind of a hiccup in our relationship, we're making solid progress that will not be eroded in the event that we have a little bit of a problem somewhere in the future. I think that like really getting into the idea of that and, and what your life can be um, is exciting and it motivates you to accept the responsibility necessary for you to really create some great results that will provide you with a personal experiential reference point for how useful it is to accept responsibility for your life so that you want to accept more of it so that you create more results. And it really just kind of creates this, this really nice upward spiral. If we can get you as a rocket ship off the ground first, we're going to burn up the most fuel getting you off the ground. That's the hardest part. But once you're up in space, you know, it's a lot easier to kind of just shoot from one place to the next. Yeah, so I think we'll wrap it up here for today. Thank you guys so, so very much for listening. We, if you are interested in patching up some of the leakages uh, in your relationship, we are still cooking up a relationship program um, that we'll launch later this month. So if you have any interest in that, email us, support at everbetterlife.com. Let us know topic ideas for upcoming podcasts, and we will see you next time. Thank you.